Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Rocks Pile Podcast, part of Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Kevin Henry and Noah Yingling. Welcome into the Rocks Pile Rockies Report. I am Noah Yingling, one of the co-experts of Rocks Pile, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow co-expert Kevin Henry. Kevin, how are you? Doing well, Noah. How about you, man? I am doing fantastic in the freezing, freezing cold of northern Ohio. I'm telling you, yeah, we have snow on the ground here in northern Colorado, so I get that completely, and it uh, just makes me even more excited for baseball season to come whenever it actually does. Yeah, we have about four inches of snow on the ground, but yep. it has not snowed in the last few days because it's been so cold. Exactly. It's not going anywhere, right? Yeah. So it was, last night it was low single digits. Tonight we may get even into negatives. So that's Man. always terrific. That's a lot of fun right there for yeah. sure. But you know who didn't get into negatives, Noah? And that's Todd Helton. You know what I'm saying? That is true. How about that? Yes, he got 52% of the vote on the Hall of Fame uh, ballot, which was released yesterday. Um, David Ortiz, of course, got in, was the only man to get in. He got 77.9% of the vote. And Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, each had 66 and 65% of the vote, not getting in. Kurt Schilling fell off the ballot as well. Sammy Sosa fell off the ballot. So as we were talking yesterday with our pal Patrick Lyons of DNBR and Justin Wick, of course, of Purple Row, Todd Helton may be able to get some more traction in the next year or two because some people have fallen off. And coming up in the next few years, you don't have a, you don't have like a Ken Griffey Jr. coming up. No. You have some borderline guys or like Carlos Beltran, he's probably the strongest argument, but he has the Astros cheating scandal behind him. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There was a really good article published on Call of the Pen talking about the 2023 ballot and kind of looking ahead. And there were some interesting points on there. First of all, only 14 players who are eligible for consideration on this year's ballot will make it on the next year's ballot. Now, that includes those who fell off with the 10 uh, year rule like Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Sosa, as well as those who didn't make the five percent uh, as well. And I thought it was really interesting to to the in also in this article it talked about that forty two percent of the ballots that were cast in this year had votes for guys who will not be on the ballot next year. Yeah. So all of those votes. I mean, don't necessarily have to go somewhere because, of course, you don't have to vote for 10, you know, but it's very likely that Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, and maybe even Billy Wagner are the top three who will benefit from those votes being available next year that weren't this year. 
and even some of the guys lower on the ballot. Like, for example, Tory Hunter, he only got 5.3% of the vote. But last year, he got 9.5% of the vote. Mark Burley got 5.8% of the vote, and he was over 10%. So perhaps those two and a few others will regain some of their votes as well. Yeah. Um, for Burley, in fact, it was 11% he had last year. Uh, Jimmy Rollins had 9.4%. Abreu had 85 Andy Pettit had 107 Omar Vizquel dropped like a balloon, as he should. Yeah. Um, and I, I know I've said this before. He was my favorite player growing up. Not a Hall of Famer. Um, Manny Ramirez at 29%. Jeff Kent is... <sighs> Jeff Kent is not the most media-friendly person or was not the most media-friendly person when he was a player. But he's the best-hitting second baseman of the era. Doesn't have any steroid ties to him. Yet he gets... Fewer than a third of the vote boggles my mind. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know. And we talked about this as you mentioned uh, with Patrick and and Justin yesterday on the DMVR Rockies podcast. A lot of things that we're now seeing is, you know, Big Poppy was very popular. Yeah, he was yeah. he was very likable. He got the city of Boston to rally after the the bombing at the Boston Marathon. You know, he so many of these things that gave him good guy votes or good guy points eventually turned into votes, I think, as well from the media. Yeah. And that that is something that that is definitely a, a, a problem with it, with the voting process of. OK, this guy was a nice guy. I, I mean, there was there were numerous uh, votes. There were 37 votes for Jimmy Rollins. Both of us, I know, agree that we don't think he's a hall of famer, but were some of those votes just because, Oh, he was a nice guy. So we're, we're, we're going to vote him for that. Or was it a vote for, we think he's a hall of famer or was it a vote for, I think he needs to get more consideration. I might not think he's a hall of famer, but I'm afraid of him falling off the ballot. I believe it was Jason Stark of the athletic, if I'm not mistaken, who said that with Rollins? He said, "I'm I'm not quite sure if he's a Hall of Famer, but I was worried about him falling off the ballot." So I yep. I was really surprised that Burley did the tightrope, uh, you know, and that he he had a chance of falling off this year. I was really surprised about that. Yeah, uh, and I do think it's really interesting the guys who deserve another chance, and we've talked about the one and dones for uh, quite a bit. But there are a lot of guys on this ballot that are they Hall of Famers? Yeah, maybe not, but they deserve more than one or two chances, I think. Yeah. And a prime example is Mark Burley. Yep. From, tw- from 2001 through 2014, every single season, he had 200 innings pitched or more. Every season. He went four, uh, he averaged a 14 and 11 record. Not great if you're looking at that. 381 ERA, averaged 33 starts a year, 217 innings pitched a year. And he had an ERA plus of 117, a whip of 1.28, and he averaged two walks and five strikeouts per nine innings. Are those great numbers? No, but especially with the longevity factor with him, that's something where people have considered him. and. For me, on my 10-player ballot, if I had 10 players and if I had a ballot, I would have had him on there. I, I agree. I think if you look at 
the prime years, you know, and I know you and I have talked about those, those year stretches and really looking at how good they were, not just for a little bit, but for a prolonged period. Burley falls into that, really puts up some great numbers year after year after year, consistency, all that good stuff. And so for him to almost not make it to next year's ballot, that, I mean, that was a real surprise to me, honestly. And if you're someone that looks at war, Mark Burley, well, for example, for baseball reference, they, the rough barometer for, they say a, a Hall of Famer is, is 60 war. That's the reason why relievers always fall off. And it, even the, the, the creator of baseball reference, he tweeted, I don't get the infatuation with relievers. For me, my ballot would have had two relievers on it. And there should really be more relievers in the Hall of Fame because it is a position on the field. Sure. And it's the same thing with the DH. Oh, I I don't like the DH. I'm not going to vote for DH. Well, it's a position. So, and same thing with other positions. Third base is criminally underrated in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I, I just don't like this third baseman. No, you at least in my opinion, it should be, okay, this guy was the best at his position for a decade, or he was one of the best players of, in general, for a decade. Okay, he should probably be in the Hall of Fame then. Sure. Well, how, how many minutes, hours, whatever you want to say, have we talked about the Rockies bullpen in years past? Yeah. And when Daniel Bard imploded last year, and Wade Davis before that, and pick a reliever before that, you know, how many times have we talked about the value of having that rock solid closer? If they're important in a game, absolutely. If they can build that over a prolonged period in a career, then absolutely they should be included in the hall. And I'll give you even this. In 2015, with a few future Rockies at the time, Greg Holland, Wade Davis, Without that bullpen, the Royals do not win the World Series. No, Period. agreed. They don't even get there. Agreed. Agreed. And and I think you could say that about Atlanta, even this year with their rock solid yeah. back end that included our friend Tyler Matzik. You know, I think look at some of these strong teams through the years that have been able to put together those back end of the bullpens, and you tell me that that didn't contribute to their team success. Yeah. You look even – talking about another Royals team, the previous team that won the World Series, the 85 Royals. You look at their uh, offense, and you're like, okay, you got George Brett, you got Steve Balboni, you got Hal McRae, and then who do you have? I mean, their next, uh, arguably their next best hitter was Willie Wilson, and he wasn't hitting for any power. You can look at Frank White, and he wasn't hitting for average. He was hitting for some power. But then you look at their pitching staff with Bud Black, Danny Jackson, Brett Saberhagen, future Rocky, uh, Charlie Lee Brandt. They had a good rotation. But then you look at especially Dan Quisenberry. Do the do the Royals win the World Series or are they that successful in the 80s without Dan Quisenberry? Probably not. Yeah. He had a let's see. It was a six year stretch where he came in the top five and in, in, in the AL Cy Young award five times. 
Yeah. I mean, quiz was the guy back in the day. And, you know, and I know I'm a little bit older than you are, but absolutely quiz was known. And, you know, I think back to all the relievers, you know, Al Herboski, the mad Hungarian, he was more known for how he acted on the mound rather than how he actually pitched. But then I think back to the pirates and the whole, we are family and all that good stuff. Yeah. And it's hard not to think about Kent Colby. Yeah. You know, and, and the impact that he made, uh, you know, and looking back, he was fifth in the Cy Young balloting in 78 and 79 and eighth in the MVP in 1979. And you look at some of the other relievers on that 79 team, Grant Jackson, by the way, he actually went to my college BGSU and he had a sub three RA three ERA that year. You look at the rest of their bullpen, Jim Bibby. He made 17 starts as well. Sub three RA Enrique Romo with his screwball sub three ERA Dave Roberts, not, not the Dodgers manager, the, the, the pitcher, Dave Roberts. He had an ERA just above three. Do they get to the postseason or are they successful without to and those few guys? Probably not. I mean, they yeah. got the game seven of the world series. But if you don't have Tecolvi pitching like that, nope. I, I mean, Tecolvi had three saves in the World Series. Exactly right. Not games, mention, five games, six yep. and seven. Yeah, but it, again, I think that there's a lot that needs to be fixed with Paul voting. I think there's yep. a lot that needs to be fixed with what writers are actually looking at. You know, and and I think that there are a lot of, you know. BBWAA folks out there that maybe aren't as up on advanced metrics and everything as perhaps they should be. Yeah. And with that, I mean, there should be, and I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday on DNVR's podcast. Okay. You have to look at the advanced metrics, but you also have to look at other things like with relievers, the advanced metrics are not going to be there for the relievers. Right. But do you look at somebody like Joe Nathan who fell off the ballot and you see for really a decade, he was one of the best relievers in baseball from 2003 to 2013. He had a 224 ERA with a 195 ERA plus a 267 FIP walked fewer than three batters per nine innings, struck out nearly 11. And he averaged 34 saves a year. And he was on some decent twins teams at the time. All-star numerous times. He was an all-star six times in that period. And came in the top five in AL Cy Young Award voting twice. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot. And I know, you know, as long as the lockout goes on, I think the Hall of Fame vote and discussion is just going to rage on because that's what we can talk about right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's really this is our baseball right now. Hopefully we will get more good news or semblance of good news coming out of the the talks, but uh, for now I think a lot of us are talking about the Hall of Fame and for good reason. Yeah. But we're also going to talk about minor league baseball. Because thank goodness we've got minor league baseball coming up and we have a great discussion after the break with some friends from the Fresno Grizzlies. We're going to be talking about alternate identities, how they are going to transform into everything from the tacos to the tigers next year. So stick with us after the break 
here on the Rocks Pile Rockies Report. And welcome back to the Rocks Pile Rockies Report. My name is Kevin Henry. I am one of the co-experts for the site, joined by my friend Noah Yingling after the break and joined by two special guests today. We have Stephen Rice, who is the media relations coordinator for the Fresno Grizzlies. And also from those Grizzlies, Jonathan Bravo, who is the director of marketing and communication. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you on. Thanks for having us, guys. This is a great opportunity. We're just it really starting to feel like baseball season. We're here talking baseball. It doesn't get much better than that. We're excited, man. I, I tell you. And, and I know there was a lot of excitement last year, obviously, with what the Grizzlies did. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but let's flash forward to this season. The alternate identities that you guys have already been teasing, and I know a lot of Rockies Twitter is already in love with, uh, you know, and I'm just going to run down it real quick. I know you, you all are going to be the growers. You're going to be the tacos. You're going to be the tigers and you will be the low riders to Fresno. Yep. So tell me what goes into making the alternate identities a reality and, and what kind of excitement is there whenever you guys have an alternate night like this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really at its core, not only with our alternate identities, but with everything we do as an organization is our community. We are extremely proud to be Valley born, you know, here in the Central Valley, in the heart of Central California. And every single one, all four of our alternate identities pay homage to that. We've played as the Fresno Tacos for many, many years now. You know, we really kind of lay claim to it being the original alternate identity, you know, for minor league baseball. It's, you know, we've sold hats across the world um, and it really all comes back to the taco trucks and the fact that Fresno invented the taco truck. Um, and for us to have the opportunity to pay homage to that part of our heritage is extremely important to us. Um, the Fresno growers, you know, is the Central Valley is the, uh, you know, really the heart of agriculture, not only for California, but for much of the United States. Um, and to be able to pay homage to all of the hardworking farmers and people in agriculture around our community is really important to us. We have Fresno Growers Night and My Job Depends on Ag Night this year. And those are just two of our really important agriculture honorings. Um, Lowriders de Fresno is part of minor league baseball's Copa de la Diversión, which is a great homage to um, Hispanic and Latin America um, players. And we just are really excited to bring that back again this year. Um, something kind of unique, both with that look and the tacos look. There's a lot of purple in it. Um, obviously, the Rockies um, tie to purple is a no brainer. What's also really cool about it is our original branding in 1998 featured a lot of purple, a lot of black. So we get to pay homage to both of those. It's our 20th season in downtown Fresno. So it was a no brainer to get to bring that out and make that a part of this year's looks. And then finally, our fourth alternate identity, the Fresno Tigers. This is one that's extremely special to us. The Fresno Tigers were a 1946 West Coast Negro Baseball League team. Um, they only played for a handful of games in Fresno. Their history is extremely short, but there is no question that is very, very important to the history of professional baseball in Fresno. Um, so for us to get to pay homage to that spectacular team um, that, you know, really was another step towards us as the Grizzlies getting to where getting to be where we are today is extremely important to our organization. So really excited to have four really solid alternate identities that tie into our community. And, and I love that you're tying into the community because we know how important that is for minor league baseball to really connect with your fans 
And, and I've got to say, and, and we're going to post the, the, the hats so that you can see the logos and everything else uh, on our site, as well as certainly check out the Fresno Grizzlies on Twitter. They do a great job there as well. Uh, I got to admit the Tigers one is pretty sweet, man. Uh, I got to tell you, if, if, I, don't get me wrong. Tacos are a big thing in, in Colorado for sure, but the Tigers is pretty sweet. Yeah, you know, the, again, like I said, being as it was in 1946 and they only played for a handful of games here in Fresno, there really aren't any photos of the team and there really aren't any historic marks. So we were in the unique situation where we got to modernize the logo. We got to look at it and think, OK, if the Fresno Tigers were to play today, what would their logo probably look like? Um, so that's the main look behind the hat. Um, and then you'll notice on the patch on the hat is kind of a more 1946 styled version of, okay, this is probably what the logo would have looked like if they had a logo back in 1946. So we really wanted to mix the old with the new there. I, I got to admit, I'm amazed that there's not really much going back to that. So kudos to you guys for kind of bringing it back to life. I think that is Thank really you. cool. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We're going to go ahead and um, unveil the uniforms for all four alternate identities as we get closer and closer to season. Uh, you know, all of them we are just so extremely proud of. Although I've got to tell you, the Tigers or the Taco, obviously the Tigers is extremely exciting. We love the jersey, but the Tacos jersey is the one that's going to light Rocky's Twitter on. In, in <laughs> they are going to freak out. We're already calling it. We're freaking out. It's going to be amazing. You might have to just pause. We might have to pause like our mentions and everything in general. Like we're, it's, it's going to explode. They're, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. So the internet will break is what it, I'm hearing. That's Absolutely. the goal. Um, yeah. Especially with Rocky's Twitter, you know, it's again, it was really important to us with these being as we're now in our second year with the partnership with Colorado Rockies and in our 20th year in downtown Fresno to pay homage both to the Rockies and to our start, you know, back in, for Chirchansi Park 2002, it was really important to call out both of those. And we think we did really well with these. So people are going to be excited, I think. Now, speaking of which, for it being your first year with the Rockies, how was that transition from being a Giants affiliate, especially at the AAA level, to uh, obviously 2020 not having a season, but then becoming the Rockies affiliate in the low A level? How was that transition for you guys? You know what? I think it's been seamless for us. We have a great staff. We have a great community in general, as we just talked about, that have allowed us to really enjoy and keep baseball here in the Central Valley and here in Fresno. And for us, we have a great front office that just understands what it takes to continue to bring great level baseball, no matter what level we're at. We have an amazing stadium that holds 10,000 plus seats. We have amazing attractions here from our Splash Park to our Fresno Social and all these little uh, amenities that we have. You can have it at any level, but to be able to do it at the low A level has been even better for us. Seeing these young players coming from the Dominican Republic, coming even from all over the United States, from Zach Veen, who was down in Florida, to Drew Romo in Texas, when they get to see this ballpark and see that this is their first stop in their pro journeys to the big leagues, I mean, it's unbelievable. Their faces, they light up with enthusiasm. At the same time, too, they get to see crowds of 8,000 plus to come watch them. I mean, we sold out for July 4th weekend. So it's been easy and seamless for us. And we're so excited to continue to bring this partnership with the Rockies, show all these players and the Rockies what we're capable of doing here at this level. And even though we're at low A, we bring a big league experience every single day. Now, with that, too, especially at the AAA level, like for what well, really in the minors in general, obviously sponsors are a big 
thing. Like you'll see on the outfield walls of how you have all the different sponsors. Is that, was that something that was a little bit of a transition where, Oh, okay. This sponsor doesn't want to do as much because we're at the low A level instead of AAA. or was there any, any weird things like that, that would have happened? Yeah, that's a great question. To be honest with you, not in the slightest. You know, we're, we're really lucky that we have the ability to bring, whether we're at low A, high A, double A, triple A, we will always bring a triple A to major league experience. Our entertainment from triple A to low A has not changed at all. We still have, you know, what we, of course, believe is some of the best experiences at minor league baseball. Um, and our partners really understand that too. You know, they know that we will bring it no matter what level we are. Um, and it, again, it all comes back to community, right? And our uh, fan base and the Central Valley has really rallied around our team not only this past year, but for years and years prior. Um, and, you know, all of our sponsors understand that. So we're really grateful to have some phenomenal partners out there in our community. Um, and yeah, they always support us no matter what level we're at. You know, and if you're going to start a relationship with a new franchise, the way you guys did it last year, it's a pretty good way to go in. Let's be honest here. And, you know, and, and I remember talking to Zach Veen and Drew Romo, and they were talking about that major league experience that you guys were mentioning. How important is that whenever this whole relationship first started with the Rockies, knowing that you guys were going to be providing that to these, you know, dare I say, kids who are really starting their major league journey? You know, I think it's a big thing when we just, they just come in, we want them to be part of our family. You know, we're, we're a very tight knit community here. We're a tight knit group here and we want them to kind of be in part of it and, and love every second of it. We want them to come to the ballpark with a smile on their face and they want to see these crowds where they can come out and perform in front of 10,000 people. And when they leave here, they go, man, we want to be back here at Chansey Park. We want to be back here in Fresno because we love that experience. And so you know, being able to build that relationship, especially in that first year is huge. We want them to be able to know that even though we are low A, we're still going to bring a big league experience every single day at the ballpark. And on top of it too, we have some fun, exciting things that we do. I mean, Jonathan, the brains behind some of the things he comes up with, I don't know how he does it. And we just want these guys to enjoy every second here, no matter what they're doing, whether it's on the diamond or off the field. Now for Steven, Especially since the, as we mentioned, Fresno used to be a triple A team um, back in the late 2000s and early 2010s. Your dad was actually the pitching coach for Fresno and he pitched in the majors in 91 for the Mariners. And even though he only had a few games in the majors, he still had a chance to play with the likes of Harold Reynolds, Edgar Martinez, King Griffey Jr., Omar Vizquel, Randy Johnson. Um, how is that relationship with him and you getting into baseball of he's been in the minor leagues for the better part of 35 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, to have someone like my dad who has been able to just show me what the ropes are, you know, I grew up in a clubhouse. I, you know, I don't know how to do basic math. I don't know my science. I don't know any other aspect, but baseball. <laughs> and it's my dad coming in and showing me this stuff, you know, showing what it takes to, uh, talk to a guy, talk to a coaching staff, talk to the media. Uh, you know, every single person that I get to meet is a blessing. And he's taught me just to enjoy every single second of it. At the same time, too, that man is crazy. And so he shows, you know, I have to call him some days and go, hey, how do I get through X, Y, Z? Because, you know, there's some things that I've never learned that he has 35 years of experience that he can tell me how to 
you know, help with certain ropes, how to make sure my time is right. And if I'm going through a tough part where it means talking to a player, how is that going to be able to, you know, how can I talk to the player without having issues with it and get to that middle ground? Him having that experience at both a player and a coaching level has made me be able to flourish in this role. So yeah, for Steven's dad, his name's Pat Rice. He started pitching in 1986, retired after the 92 season. And then he was a pitching coach for the Mariners and pitching coordinator for the Mariners from 95 through 07. And then he left to go to the Giants, went to San Jose, and then went up to Fresno, was their pitching coach for a few years. And then he went to the Angels as a minor league pitching coach, and then as well as the Nationals most recently in 2021. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's been through everything. And, you know, for him... I came to Grizzlies games back in 2009, 2010, when he first started here in Fresno. And the experiences that I made then are the same experiences we want to continue to give our fans every single day. It has not changed. We still want to give the best atmosphere and experience to our community, to our fans, even to the people who can't come visit our ballpark. We want them to enjoy it on our social media pages. We want them to enjoy it every time you guys get to talk to us. And that's what we want to bring. And that's what I first learned when I first started here. And that's why I still love being a part of this organization and community. So speaking of coaches, we know that there's always a lot of transition at the minor league level, but there's some continuity coming for you guys this year. And, and how important is it knowing that, again, there's going to be a new wave of players come in, but you guys still have Robinson and that whole crew there that was so instrumental last season in the success. They're amazing. Robinson Cancel and that staff is some of the best men I've ever been a part of. I mean, we I mean, we talked about it every single day. We're like, we hope that we get these guys back. We understand what it takes to work with them every single day. We know their routine. We know what they want to get out of their players and they know that what they want to get out of us as well. And so for us, it makes it super easy to be able to talk to them, be able to get that schedule with them. We go, all right, they're going to be here by this time at the ballpark. We want to make sure that we have this stuff to them at this time. They're going to have us the lineup at this time. So it allows us to be able to get other things done, but then also know, all right, this time we're going to get this aspect of it too. And especially when it comes to the marketing side, I know Jonathan loves the aspect of just being able to talk about these guys and post about these guys. I mean, it's really, really easy. Yeah. I think one of the, you know, I don't think refreshing is quite the right word, but one of the nicest things about Steve Salise, Robinson Cancel, and really the entire staff is that they truly feel that although, you know, the product that happens on the field is obviously comes first and, you know, their development as baseball players comes first. They're also developing them as human beings and as professional athletes, which is more than on the field. You know, I think something that will always stick out to me is when we had our media day this past season where, you know, we talk with the players, take their photos, do videos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we uh, filled in Steve Salise and Robinson, you know, Hey, it will probably take this long. These are the kind of questions we're asking. And they were like, take your time. We understand that this is an extremely important part of their development. They need to be in uh, comfortable in front of a camera. They need to be comfortable answering these kinds of questions. And they will always as Steve and Robinson and, Nick and Mark will always go out of their way to make sure that if we need something in terms of a video of one of the players, if we need, you know, baseball signed, they will go out of their way to make sure that happens. And it's just a phenomenal relationship. We couldn't be more excited that they're coming back to Fresno this year. And they're winners. That's what something that is a huge (laughs) thing too, is they know how to win. And, you know, it's funny. We talk about it too, where Mark brings so much experience and the pitching staff, you see it. They, they literally, from Sam Weatherly from day one to the last start that he had of the season, Mike Ruff, 
to even Brayling Usebio, who was our opening day starter, you know, little guys like that, that just, are, they're going to grow for years because of the knowledge that Mark brings in. Where you bring in the young guy like Nick Wilson, who was just a player a couple of years ago. And he knows what, I mean, he knows what he's doing, but he also brings that, that younger aspect where the players can relate to. And then you bring guys who have the big league experience, the guys who've been to the big leagues as players, as coaches and, and Robinson and Steve, and they know what it takes to get there. And so you bring all those levels to it and to bring them all together. It's a perfect way of really kind of what we said before, just growing here in Fresno. And we're so fortunate to have this group again. And especially having like, for example, with Steve Solis, he was in the majors as a coach for a while for the angels. In fact, he worked with Bud Black when Bud Black was with the Angels as well. So having that relationship is something that, especially in the minor leagues, as we all know, relationships are some of the best things that you can develop. And sometimes they help you get further along, whether it's double A, triple A, or even in the majors. So how is developing those in Fresno, how has that been beneficial for you guys or just for the other personnel that's been there? You know, for me, I think the big thing. So Steve actually worked with my dad when they were both with the angels. And so coming in, I was able to say, Hey, Steve, you know, my dad, I'm sorry. You have to deal with me too. Like it's, <laughs> it was, I think bringing that fun relationship already off the bat really helped bridge a nice gap between that. Now, not every coach I had that experience with, but being able to say, all right, here's what I we're capable of doing. Here's what we want to do. And their maturity and their aspect made it really easy for us. And that development helps our front office be able to feel comfortable asking them questions or telling us, Hey, we think this might be a good idea for our corporate partners. And so, you know, putting out cool videos for like mental health awareness and stuff like that and seeing the players get involved with it has been just outstanding and being able to talk with the coaches and talk with the players at that level is, is something that we just, you never get to have sometimes. And I think the cool thing is being at this level also it's a lot of these guys' first experiences. And so I think we get to see some of their best of it. You know, some of them, they're going to go through their issues of going through, you know, their growing pains. But at this level, you're going to see very excited players who want to be here every single day. And the coaching staff wanted to be here every single day. And afterwards, they wanted to go dance with Parker and do all these amazing things. And that's something that we're, we take away every single day. And we're going to grow them and have more fun with it this year. I mean, for all we know, Steve Solis is going to get tired of us and kick me to the curb, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think Stephen hit on it just a little bit, but it's really important to mention as part of this conversation, you know, as, as phenomenal as the coaching staff is, Robinson, Steve, Mark, and Nick, you know, it, it, the players too are so willing to help us with anything we ask. It, and the piece that still catches me off guard is we'll ask him to do a quick video or we'll ask him to do a quick appearance and they'll thank us. And I, I kind of need to take a step back. Like, no, we should be thanking you guys. You're taking your time to come out here, help us, you know, uh, make, uh, you know, uh, the Fresno Grizzlies a bigger piece of our community. But these young guys are so gracious and it's just so heartwarming for us to see how excited they are. Like Steven said, every day to come to the ballpark, to, you know, look up at the stands and see them full of, you know, our fans cheering for them. It really is a joy. And it truly is a testament, not only to our coaching staff, but to the entire Colorado Rockies organization, how they are really forming and not only fantastic baseball players, but fantastic young men too. I, well, I will tell you, I am, we will be in Fresno this year. 
that is a promise you that. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause obviously we did not make it out last year this year. That's going to happen. So just count on it. And I'm excited, obviously to see who you guys, you know, obviously you don't know who even the team's going to be right now, right. you know? So I know that this is going to be like Christmas whenever you finally get to know who's going to be on that team and start, <laughs> start promoting them and learning more about them. And I'm excited to be a part of that with you guys as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I've already started my research of guys who I think could be here. I mean, of course, we could have Benny Montgomery. You know, I think it's going to be a big name guy, too. But we could have some returners. I think Case Williams could be back for another year, get another year under his belt, give him comfortable again. I mean, he was only with the Rockets organization for half a season. So this is a guy who's still getting used to the organization, the coaching staff and stuff like that. And he's only 21. So the guy has a lot to learn, too. And we're going to have a lot of really good ball players come in here, too, where I think we could have Amador, who could be the next Ezekiel Tovar, you know, little things like that. I love that we're already talking about the next Ezekiel Tovar. That's impressive. <laughs> right. Right That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, guys, thanks so much for your time. Seriously, thanks for all you're doing to, you know, all of us here in Colorado and around the country that follow the Rockies, we eat up the social media that you guys put out. So thanks Thank for you. doing a great job with that, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and for my partner, Noah, uh, you know, as always, we, we thank everybody for coming on this podcast. We appreciate you all listening. And as always, we say, go Rockies. But this time, we're also just going to mention a little go Grizzlies as well. We'll and tacos. And tacos. And tacos, of course. Thank you guys so much for having us. This was a blast. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Here on the Rocks Pile, Rockies Report. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.